the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Well, good afternoon to you. Welcome. It is, of course, a Wednesday, the 10th day of May. Trust you're having a good week here so far at the midweek point. Coming up a little bit later on in tonight's program. You know, by the way, that Sunday is Mother's Day. And if you've not been reminded, let me remind you now, make sure you take good care of mom. But did you know that Saturday is also a special Mother's-related day? It's like Saturday. Well, other than being the eve of Mother's Day, Craig, what could that be? Well, stay tuned. We're going to share some insights with you coming up a little bit later on in tonight's program. Also, um, summertime, I know it feels like a little bit premature to talk about summer, but, you know, we're almost halfway through the month of May, and as Memorial Day will be soon around the corner, June will be here, and school will be out before you know it. That means time for a little summer fun and maybe some summer movie viewing. Adam Holtz, director of Plugged In with Focus on the Family, will join us to talk about some of the films that are coming out, including an interesting new Christian biography that I think you'll enjoy. We'll get to that conversation a little bit later on. But I want to start on a, a bit more of a, a serious note, uh, particularly as we we talk about relationships. My mind, and we all, one time or another in life, get ourselves in trouble with unhealthy relationships. And, and whether you kind of even feel like you're there right now or would like to be better equipped to better train your children as they enter into dating life and and someday get married uh, some insights in terms of how to create that biblical balance in a relationship and, and to begin with how to look at our attractions and why it is that so often and i think all of us that have been there raise your hand um make bad decisions it appears the relationship appears to be a good one one that you're enjoying but it isn't always necessarily the best choice for you well dr wendy patrick has written a new book called why bad looks good biblical wisdom to make smart choices in life love and friendship dr patrick has degrees in Sociology, Law, Divinity, Theology, currently teaches at Trinity Law School, Veritas University, University of San Diego, and San Diego State University, where she has time to write books. (laughs) I don't know. But Dr. Patrick, thank you so much for taking time to be with us this evening. Well, thank you for having me, and thank you for all you do. I love your program. Thank you. And an important topic today, I think, because we all, I think, sometimes kind of get caught in that trap. We meet somebody, the butterflies are there, we get all excited, we get pulled in, and before you know it, we might be heading into a trap of our own making. And and sometimes we tend to, well, like maybe all the time, we, we tend to lead with our feelings but not always allow our discernment to take place. And, you know, I, I find it 
sad, and I think we've all read these stories, maybe we've even experienced it in our own life. I mean, for example, uh, a woman who is raised in a household where abuse takes place. Maybe dad is physically or emotionally abusive towards mom, and you would think, well, that should be a warning sign enough. My goodness, that young lady grew up in that environment. She knows what to look for, but instead winds up getting drawn into relationships with abusive men. Why does that happen so often? Yeah, I'll tell you, I hope you have allotted a couple hours for me because I could go on and on as a 30-year prosecutor. And, you know, ironically, you know, your excellent questions is really what prompted me to write the book. You know, in almost the 30 years I've been prosecuting crime and working with victims, including bystander victims, secondary trauma victims, as you mentioned, I saw the same pattern over and over. Bad people looking good. It is so easy to turn anger into, oh, well, it's just passion, um, jealousy. Well, that's just an expression of love. Somebody's not aggressive. They're, they're just assertive. I mean, I could go on and on. And, you know, on the other side of that, there are some people that are just manipulators. They look good. They sound good. They make us feel good. They seduce us into lowering our defenses and becoming vulnerable to exploitation. And you bring up a good point. You know, if you live around a pattern of abuse, it's not that you don't see the red flags, but you trade in you're reading glasses for rose-colored glasses mm. if you're able to compartmentalize that abuse. So you look at that and you think, well, biblical wisdom, does that make a difference? Oh, yes, it does. You know, every time I go to a bookstore and see the self-help aisle crowded with people, I just want to say, why don't you all get over to the biblical area where you will find the world's best-selling self-help book, which is, of course, the Bible. And in turning it into the 26 chapters as I did in Why Bad Looks Good, I always have to pare it down. It's kind of like that college essay that you write and it's 30 pages and you're only allowed to turn in five. It was hard to even find 26 chapter headings that are able to capture all of the different ways the lore of the world can be counteracted by the truth of the word. You know, it's interesting. I, I think all of us, from the age of being a little boy, a little girl, have a sense of what our, our kind of ideal is. Maybe the ideal is the kind of relationship we'd like to have, family we'd like to have, career we'd like to have. And I'm wondering if, if, if some of that we carry with us into adulthood, and, and as you suggest, sort of that rose-colored glasses approach, that when we meet someone, we perhaps see not what we actually see, not what's really in front of our eyes if, if we're looking at it critically with an open heart and open mind guided by the Spirit, guided by Scripture, but rather we see what we want to see and therefore end up overlooking perhaps many of what others would consider to be the glaring character flaws that we've just suddenly turned a blind eye to. Why do we do that? We do that because of really what I start out with in Chapter 1, the deception of public perception is social media influencers and trends that make us think that we know what to look for. You know, they had the same problem in biblical times. Remember when, you know, Saul, you went to find the king and David didn't look like a king and so he wasn't necessarily going to be the first choice of Jesse's sons? We're no different today. We think about what someone, what good should look like. Um, and so Chapter 2 is, is notably when bad is beautiful. But let me add to the, the excellent point you made. Not only does bad look good, 
it sounds good. So this is where I make my money, the seduction of the silver tongue. That's what I've been doing and litigating for 30 years. But you also make the point of what you want to see. How about what you want to hear? Bittersweet nothings. Hearing what you want to hear oftentimes makes us really focus in on what we wish we felt like or sounded or, or responded to or the person we wish we were. You know, manipulators cater to that. And if they're able to look good, sound good, and, and make us feel good, it is amazing how willing we are to overlook the red flags. But guess what? If you're in the Word and you know Scripture, you can't do that because you're forced to look at the fruit of somebody's life. And it's just all talk, no walk. Well, then there are plenty of Scriptures that lead you to figure out, wait a minute, if this person really is who he says he is, why in the world doesn't they, don't they have anything to show for it? Well, and, and clearly, you know, underscoring the notion that from a scriptural standpoint, we are not to lean to our own understanding, and yet Amen. that tends to kind of be the, the fallback position. And I'm wondering, too, Dr. Patrick, if there is an element in here that even when perhaps there are those glimmers of checks, the check mark that says, Mm-mm, warning sign, red light, not exactly what I think, maybe what I'd hope to be, but not what I'm, I'm really wanting here, not what I know is good for me, that there is an element perhaps of also, dare I say, risk taking. I mean, let's face it, in, in society and culture, you know, a little bit, I think, in all of us likes to live a little bit on the edge. You know, we get into the car. Do I really need to wear the seatbelt? Will anything really happen if I go 75 instead of just 55? Getting on the roller coaster and the big whoosh up and down ride. And, you know, even though it, it sets our stomach, uh, you know, aflame, there's still that thrill because that there's that, that sense of excitement and the adrenaline rush. Is that a factor here, too? It's called When Risky Looks Rewarding, and it's exactly the, the phenomenon you mentioned. And, you know, there's research. It's, it's, it's scripture, and there's also a lot of research I've done on the topic over the course of um, acquiring my degrees. Is Part of what makes risky rewarding is it's that, that adrenaline rush. And let me give you another factor, a little-known fact. The people that you are with when you engage in risky behavior often become more attractive to you because of the hormones that are being released during the rush of the risk. How do you like that? Wow. So there's, lots, there's both empirical and anecdotal support for the reality that not only does risky look rewarding, it feels rewarding, and so do those with whom you engage in the risk. Now, as parents, we would call those those friends a bad influence. You know, that's what we tell our kids, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. But sometimes it is those friends, frenemies, I would call them nowadays, looking back, but it is those people with whom you take risks that often look good themselves, and then you can see you're off the path at this point. You know, you're, you're off the path, you're into the weeds, and now you run the risk of darkness looking desirable to the point where now you can't tell the difference. Wow. And, you know, when we come back after the break, I want to sort of unfold the, the layers of complexity here because, you know, I think oftentimes when we are attracted to someone in the beginnings of a relationship, you know, we, we, we perhaps are very uh, myopic or one-dimensional and, and not taking into consideration all of the factors related to emotional, spiritual, psychological, and even physiological a lot more complex than it seems on the surface. Dr. Wendy Patrick with us today. A look at why bad looks good. Biblical wisdom to make smart 
Choices in Life, Love, and Friendship. The book, by the way, newly released by Broad Street Publishers. You'll find it at Christian bookstores throughout the Bay Area. You can also find it, of course, at Amazon.com or through Dr. Patrick's website, wendypatrickphd.com. We'll take a time out back with more as Lifeline continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, back to the conversation with us today, best-selling author Dr. Wendy Patrick. The latest book called Why Bad Looks Good, Biblical Wisdom to Make Smart Choices in Life, Love, and Friendship. Let's talk about how multidimensional all of this can be and how oftentimes in sort of that, that, that singular, almost myopic focus, we tend to, we look at, well, gee, he just sounds so nice or... Boy, I just, you know, I, he's got a great career, and I find that attractive. I like the way he looks. And we, we, we tend to leave out the fact that relationships are very broad and, and, and multifaceted. And do we do ourselves a disservice when we kind of strip the, put the, put the, um, the, the horse blinders on, so to speak, Dr. Patrick, and, and, and not allow ourselves to be confronted by the totality of what we're seeing and experiencing? Okay, that's exactly right. Let me add to the excellent introduction uh, to the issue you just gave. Have you ever noticed that sometimes despite somebody looking good, sounding good, having a great resume, you just feel unsettled around them? They make you a little bit anxious. You think you should be happy to see them if it's a dating relationship, for example, but you just have that feeling. I mean, God equipped us with intuition. It's instinct. It is the the kinds of, of gifts that we're given to perceive others that are unwritten rules. There's just a little something there. You know, I wish that everyone would listen. We, we're better doing this objectively closer to the beginning of a relationship before we've traded in our reading glasses for rose-colored glasses, so to speak. But there's always something, even if we can't quite put our finger on it because everything looks great, that should be a red flag that there's something below the surface. You know, the last book I wrote, Apple, was called Red Flags, and it was all about the, the different ways in which we look below the surface. That stood for, you know, you look at the flag analysis, focus, lifestyle, association, and goals were the four things I looked at. This book just builds on that innate warning system in there are all these different ways that sort of cue up this picture of someone that looks good, sounds good, but if we're still feeling unsettled, wow, that is our intuition telling us, you better step back and take another look because there is more than meets the eye. How do we go about fine-tuning our discernment? And I realize that, that that's almost a quaint word these days. It's kind of like horse and buggy. It doesn't get used very often. Uh, and yet, sadly, uh, you know, when you need it, you want it to be there. And, and, I, and I'm afraid that we sometimes we confuse knowledge or information or even feelings with discernment. Well, what is it really and how do we hone that? How, how, do, how do we help to refine our sense of discernment so that we're more sensitive when we get that little check and know what to do with it? You know, um, part of the reason I indexed the book into 26 chapters is to try to answer your discernment question on so many different levels with friends, 
in love, with money, in a job, with credentials. But I'm going to give you, um, I, I like to take pictures, so I'm going to give you a photography analogy. If you watch somebody over time, you are in a much better position to be able to, I, I call this time lapse, time lapse observation. You're able to see them in a, a variety of circumstances, interacting with a number of different people, especially if they don't know you're watching. How does somebody treat, you know, the person that takes their trash at the office or, you know, as opposed to, you know, maybe that clerical worker who could do nothing for them. I also talk about a wide angle lens. Looking at them in different circumstances is huge. Um, do multiple exposures. Take friends and family along. See what other people, how other people respond to them. There are all these different ways in which you can actually look think and feel about somebody in more ways than one and in more dimensions than one. And I'll, I'll sort of give you a, another analogy. I call it red flags after five. It is very easy for somebody to be on good behavior in the office or at work, whatever their workplace looks like, or if they volunteer when you're around them. But where do they go once the, the, the knocking off bell rings? I'm showing my age here. You know, remember the Flintstones? They had that, that honk at the end of the day. <laughs> right, the, the, the 5 o'clock whistle. That's <laughs> right, the 5 o'clock whistle. Where do they go then? Do they go to the gym, the bar, the arcade? I mean, you learn more about somebody but by what they do on their own time than you can watching them intently throughout the course of the day. So it's all kind of about this off-label observational time periods that you can have with somebody that lets you exercise discernment in a more natural habitat with them. That's the way you really find out what somebody is like. And of course, you know, it never hurts to, to go online and do what we do best is we can fact check if we are worried about somebody misrepresenting their credentials, their hobbies, or even their family members or their relational status. Boy, how about that one? We can always use what we have at our disposal in 2023 in a far more expedient fashion than we could even five years ago. So as people are multidimensional, it sounds like, Dr. Package, you're suggesting that it would be healthy to see them in multidimensional circumstances. A case in point, an example that comes to mind, a woman friend of mine uh, had been dating a gentleman and all the reports come back we're very positive oh goodness we've gone to dinner the movies he's so nice he gets the door gets the chair gets the bill this is just fantastic and then we hadn't spoken in several months and the next time we reconnected i said gee how are things you going between you and so and so oh that loser dumped him like a hot rock what happened <laughs> she said well you know everything seemed to be going on so well and then uh, one weekend he mentioned that he was going to be going to his son's baseball game, a little league baseball game, and she thought, well, that might be kind of fun, and I'm not trying to, you know, force my way in. He was divorced, and so I thought, well, this would be nice, and you know, something a little bit different, go cheer the kid on, and so on and so forth, and so she kind of invited herself, and will said, gee, I love baseball. Would you mind if I, I, I met you out there, and, you know, we can sit together and visit while your son's playing the game? No, great, come on out. She watched his behavior with his son, when the kid got up to bat, missed the ball, screaming and yelling, that's not the way I taught you. You're a loser. Do you want to be a loser? Just absolutely oh. eviscerated that poor child 
up one end and down the other. And she said that experience and seeing the way he interacted with this, I don't think the kid was like eight years old, the eight-year-old son left such a sour taste in my mouth. She thought, if this is what he's like with his own family, no, there's absolutely no future here at all. So is it really important then, as we're suggesting, multidimensional people, you need to get sort of multidimensional experiences with them to really understand truly who they are? What a great example, Craig. That's exactly right. How long is it going to be before that's the way he treats her? You know, I often talk about the waitress test on a first date. If somebody mistreats anybody, it's just a matter of time before that anybody is you. But I think it's even worse in a scenario where you're looking at the way you are you're supposed to be a role model to your children and that this is the way you behave. What an excellent example. God bless her for inviting herself to the game. What a life of misery she no doubt spared herself from. Now, could he have been having a, a bad day? Can behavior change? You know, the way I, I always like to end these interviews is by saying, don't miss the green lights. Uh, stay vigilant for red flags. Keep in mind that people change, especially when they find the Lord or really start walking with the Lord. And sometimes what looks bad might be bad, but things change, and we want to give everybody the benefit of the doubt. Who's to say that with counseling, with uh, a newfound uh, love for Jesus Christ, that that relationship couldn't completely be turned around. However, she should probably sit it out, saying with the baseball analogy, why doesn't she sit on the bench until that happens? <laughs> yeah, undoubtedly so. <laughs> and don't hold your breath. Don't hold your breath. Well, for the benefit of listeners, we've obviously just sort of um, literally scratched the surface of, of this multifaceted topic, but a critically important one. And, and let me be fair. We, we've we've used examples today of scenarios where women have, have been kind of on the short end of the relationship. It happens to men, too. And I think it's important that we be mindful that all of us being human and frail and in our sin nature can, can uh, you know, make mistakes and misjudge and, you know, uh, have the, the rose-colored glasses on, as Dr. Patrick suggested. Um, it's never too late in life to make good decisions, to start making good decisions and to retune your thinking. And certainly this book can be of value to you, whether you want to give it to a young person in life, a great graduation gift here as they get started out in love and life and romance, or uh, for a person that maybe has gone through some bad relationships and just sort of keeps repeating the pattern. You're thinking, what what can benefit them to break this cycle? Well, a book like this might just be the answer. Again, it's called Why Bad Looks Good, Biblical Wisdom to Make Smart Choices in Life, Love, and and friendship. Newly released by Broad Street Publishers, again, available at bookstores throughout the Bay Area, Amazon.com, and also you can get more information directly through Dr. Patrick's website, Wendy Patrick, W E N D Y, Wendy Patrick, PhD.com. Wendy Patrick, PhD.com. Our thanks to Dr. Patrick for the wonderful insights and conversation on this edition of Lifeline. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, it almost seems like for the past three years we've scarcely been to the movies, you know, concerns over COVID and things of that sort. But uh, now that we're, you know, heading into summertime, I mean, I know it says summer, really, Craig? Come on, we, we've barely gotten through the winter in the Bay Area, yes. But need I remind you that we are less than 20 days away from Memorial Day, and that kind of takes us right into the launch of June. And before you know it, the kids will be out of school, and, well, you get the picture. Yeah, you're right. Summer's going to be here. And with that, how about some summertime movies? 
previewing. Well, with some great insights, including a very interesting biography that I think you'll enjoy. Adam Holtz joins us, director of Plugged In with Focus on the Family. Adam, thanks for being with us tonight. And uh, I know that there's a number of interesting releases that are kind of on your radar screen for some good, wholesome family entertainment. So let her rip. Tell us about them. Yeah, you know, let's start with the one that you referenced. Um, and uh, that one is the new George Foreman movie. Um, have you seen it yourself, Craig? I have not yet. In fact, it wasn't until I, I saw uh, your item that I was even aware that they were coming out with a biopic. I'm a big fan of his, so I'm thrilled to hear it. Yeah, it's called Big George Foreman. It actually came out a couple of weeks ago, uh, and it's had pretty solid numbers for a smaller Christian movie release. Um, you know, some of us know George Foreman. If we're of a certain tender age, we might remember his fight with Muhammad Ali. Some of us who are a little bit younger might be like, isn't that that guy who sells grills and names all of his kids <laughs> yeah, George? Yeah. Uh, and some people who are younger might have even missed that sort of second round of his fame. But what people may not realize is that right in the middle of that low point of his career, he came to Christ. And so this is a movie that tells the story of George Foreman. It, uh, it, you know, we see him as a boxer. We see him growing up uh, as a child of a devout single mom who thanked God for everything. Gratitude marked her life. But George, at that point, couldn't really get around the idea that, well, it didn't seem like God was providing for them. There's a scene where they basically cut up a, a hamburger for the different kids in the family, and, and, you know, she thanks God for it. And, you know, in, in George's eyes at that point, it's more indicative of God not providing for them. And he sort of made a vow of sorts, Craig. He basically said, you know, I'm not going to live this way. And so, you know, he had that anger. He had that chip on his shoulder that really drove him to the highest, you know, level possible as a professional boxer and then lost to Muhammad Ali and subsequently had almost a Damascus Road kind of experience of Jesus and came to know Christ and completely changed his life, you know. And obviously when we meet Jesus, it changes our lives. But when a celebrity meets Jesus uh, and really makes big changes, uh, it's an incredible thing. And, and this movie tells this story. Obviously, there's some boxing. Uh, there's an allusion to uh, some of George's infidelities. But it's not anything that I felt like was terribly inappropriate. And we get an incredibly inspiring story, I think, about perseverance, about humility, and about responding to God's call. So that one is out already, Craig. Good good viewing, and, and, and certainly, as you point out, sort of being able to walk through his not only experiences as a young boy growing up in, in really uh, on-the-edge poverty, and then, of course, ultimately his success in the ring, then his failures, and then see the way God restored him following that final boxing loss to uh, the late Muhammad Ali and then going through a bitter divorce. I mean, there were some things that life handed him that were, that were pretty rough, but along the way— uh, God used some circumstances in the family, I understand, particularly related to his sister, that ultimately yeah. brought him to the cross. And that really comes down to the core of the message. Yeah, I mean, he has almost, I guess, what we call a near-death experience and comes out of that a changed person. So I think if you like boxing, if you like George Foreman, and obviously there's a, a local connection there, uh, and you like, you know, redemptive stories, right? I mean, Hollywood... Yeah, often wants to focus on gritty stories or stories that have a lot of content. 
This is a redemptive story. And, you know, you guys know this living in California, but when we go to a movie, we're, we're casting a vote with our dollars. And our votes tell Hollywood, more of this, please. And certainly we can get on the entertainment industry for being too liberal and culturally in some ways it is. But, you know, the bean counters in Hollywood are fundamentally conservative when it comes to, you know, their financial stance on things. And so... If we want more good content, we have to vote for it with our dollars, and that tells Hollywood, give us some more of this, please. Absolutely. Some of the other interesting films that uh, that are coming out, let's let's, let's uh, touch on some of those. I, I was uh, fascinated to see a um, sort of a, a, a redo or a refiring, I might better say, of Indiana Jones. Yeah. Indiana Jones and the Not Dead Yet crew. Um, okay, that's harsh. It's actually called Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny and Harrison Ford, who's 80. I mean, if that doesn't make you... Wow, boy, that makes me feel old. <laughs> what what does? I mean, even we forget he was 35 when he did Star Wars, and that was in 1977. Um, this is the last Indiana Jones movie. It's set in the 60s, and so there's that sort of milieu about it that's the world that it exists in and there's at least some of it that takes back takes place back in world war ii era and we don't know for yet whether those are flashbacks or whether there's a time traveling thing the fact that there is something called the dial of destiny would suggest that perhaps time travel is involved and if you've seen the trailer the trailer is remarkable because the the cgi technology that's de-aging actors now it just gets better and better, and it looks pretty convincing to me. And I think this one, like a number of the films on our list, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, which we can talk about, it's already out, Fast 10, which is the latest Fast and Furious movie, Transformers, Rise of the Beast, The Flash, all of these big PG-13 movies tend to have some commonalities. Now, there may be different levels of emphasis, but you can expect some violence in all of them, Craig. You can expect, you know, a fair bit of profanity, and sometimes you can expect some sensuality and suggestive stuff, even though they're not probably going to push it too far with a PG-13 rating, and I think I think with indie, that's not a, a franchise that's been known for a lot of sexual or suggestive stuff, but my guess is the body count's going to be pretty high, and indie might have a choice word or two for, you know, the bad guys somewhere along the way, so... Those are a few of the movies that are coming out in the next six to eight weeks uh, that uh, I think are different franchises, but all share that PG-13 rating. They're all big blockbusters, action movies, and that's kind of what we can expect content-wise. And finally, on sort of the younger end of the uh, the demographic continuum, The Little Mermaid. Tell me about that. Yeah. Well, The Little Mermaid has stirred up a ton of controversy and conversation in equal measure. It comes out Memorial Day weekend, May 26th. This is a live action. Uh, it's, it's a remake of the classic Disney animated movie that came out, what, in 1989, 1990? I don't have that number right in front of me, or that date right in front of me. Um, but uh, it's retelling that story, and they have cast a, I would say, a diverse cast of characters this time around. And there are some people who are saying that that diversity is just politically correct, and it you know, why do they have to do that? And there are others saying that, you know, that diversity really enables some people who maybe didn't see themselves in the first film um, to uh, maybe have a better representation here. Um, and uh, Halle Bailey, I keep wanting to call her Halle Berry, but it's not. Halle Bailey is the star of this. Um, 
and uh, I think that we're going to get an interesting movie. There's also been some conversation about rewriting some of the lyrics of famous songs, you know, Kiss the Girl, if you sort of take it at face value, it almost looks like the male protagonist is is really forcing himself on the girl, and so they've they've adjusted some of those lyrics, and Again, depending on where you fall in terms of how you think about that, some people have felt like, ah, you're tampering with an icon. And other people are saying, no, we're making a necessary adjustment uh, in terms of, of where we're at culturally, and we can see some things that we didn't really notice back then. And Disney obviously has been including a lot of LGBT themes and characters in its stuff recently. I haven't seen much buzz about that with this particular film yet. But uh, certainly we'll be keeping an eye out for all of those kinds of content. So if you want to know exactly what's in it before you go, you can come to PluggedIn.com and we'll let you know. And certainly uh, increasingly of value as we begin to see some of this paradigm shift uh, take place in Hollywood, particularly along gender lines and so forth. And as that is a concern for you as a parent, uh, great to kind of get uh, uh, prepared and educated in advance so you don't get surprised sitting in the theater. That's why a great place to uh, bookmark on your uh, tablet or uh, computer is Plugged in.com. That's PluggedIn.com. And of Holtz, of course, the director of Plugged In. You hear oftentimes the uh, the Plugged In recommendations uh, from Focus on the Family throughout the broadcast day right here on KFAX. Our thanks to Adam Holtz with Focus on the Family. Again, online at PluggedIn.com for some great and solid movie insights and reviews. The greatest and latest coming to a theater near you. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Well, I mentioned at the start of the show, kind of a reminder that this Sunday is Mother's Day. But did you know that there's a special commemorative day the day before on Saturday? And you're scratching your head thinking, okay, what what am I missing? Well, Tina Amoroso is with us to uh, tell us more. Tina is a community outreach manager with Real Options. Tina, thank you so much for being with us. Happy Mother's Day uh, slightly in advance as well. And as we know, second Sunday of the month is always Mother's Day. But what goes on on the second Saturday of the month? Thank you. Thank you, Craig, for having me. Um, Second Saturday of the month is Birth Mother's Adoption Month. So um, I'm really excited to be here. And as we talk about that, kind of walk me through, if you would, and maybe a good place to start is with your own adoption story. Well, um, 34 years ago, when I was a teenager, I faced an unplanned pregnancy. And because of my surrounding influences, I almost, almost terminated my pregnancy. In fact, I went to three different abortion clinics during that time. Um, During my first visit, the medical staff discovered that an ultrasound revealed that I was further along than I had been told. And um, this was just seconds away from my termination procedure. And I still remember the sounds, the voices of the staff, Um, but the second abortion procedure could not be completed. And um, due to my son was in a breech position, meaning his head was on top, and again, it could not take place. But um, they referred me to two different clinics in California that would perform this. 
And walk us through then what ultimately happened. So during my third and final visit with a late-term abortion clinic, um, when I walked in, it was evident that many of us young mothers were far along. And I realized it was then that God pressed into my heart. And by his grace, I told the nurse that I couldn't go through with the abortion and chose life for my son, Eric, and made a loving adoption plan for him. You know, what strikes me, uh, Tina, maybe you can speak to this as well. There are so many families out there for whatever reason that either cannot conceive or would like to open their home to a child in need, add to their family. There's a variety of, of, of motivations. And yet, in, in spite of the degree of demand, I understand that when we compare the number of adoptions every year in the country to the number of abortions every year, they are just eons apart. Why is that? Well, um, I think a lot of people, when they're facing an unplanned pregnancy, they don't you know, the first thing that they look to is how can I how can I resolve this issue? And they look at the here and now, which means that they look to um, what they need to do as far as possible termination. And when they do that, um, that is what we're facing today. Mm. Your own story. You decided to carry your son, Eric, to term and put him up for adoption. Did you ever get a chance to reconnect or, or get the full the full completion of that story? Absolutely. At first, I thought it would be a closed adoption, but um, after spending time with the potential parents of Eric, we developed a special bond of trust and a love relationship. So at first, I thought it would be simple as receiving an update every once in a while, um, maybe a photo, a letter, but it was eventually apparent that Eric's new parents wanted me a part of his story, his life, and they also embraced me into their family. So over the years, and although this was one of the toughest decisions I've ever had to make, um, I'm greatly blessed and rewarded. Eric and his parents are included amongst my most dearest friends who also loved on my five other children. And I'm very proud of the young man that Eric is today and proud of all of my children and my new granddaughter also. Wow, and and what a joy to have that 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 blended family, so to speak, and and what a blessing for your son. I mean, you know, uh, there are children out there that have no parents at all because they're orphans, or a child that that only comes from a single parent family because um, you know mom passed away, dad took off, whatever the case might be. Uh, <laughs> your son Eric has the added blessing of having multiple parents. What a joy that must be for him. Yes, it is. It is. Um, it's very rewarding for me um, to have that relationship with him and his mom and dad. I, I'm curious, Tina, and I think I already know the answer to this, but I think uh, for the benefit of listeners, they really need to hear this coming directly from you. As you look back over the totality of this experience in wrestling with the idea of terminating the pregnancy, finally concluding not to 
carrying your son to term and there's got to be a, a moment of, oh, am I making the right decision here in keeping the child to term? Am I making the right decision in offering the child up for adoption? But as you look back at all of this, knowing all that you know now, um, would you change anything? No, absolutely not. Um, I chose life for Eric, and that is something that I will never regret. Um, I chose to give him life because every child is created with a plan and a purpose. And he was as well. And even though I couldn't raise him at such a, at such a young age, I was able to find a family who could give him the life he deserved. And what an amazing gift you gave him. I mean, I, I don't know, other than Christ's work on the cross, not to turn um, uh, theological here, but other than that, I don't know that there is a greater gift that can be given than the gift of life. And sadly, so often this conversation is couched in terms of what's inconvenient, what's convenient, what's doable, what's not doable, what's best for the mother. And, and seldom do we enter into the conversation, hey, wait a minute, what about the one individual, the one person that largely doesn't get a vote in this? What do you think they would have to say? And I'm curious, this might be a slightly unfair question, but I'm, I'm with my advanced apology offered, I'm going to ask it anyway. Um, in, in talking with Eric and knowing Eric now, is he glad you did what you did? Yes, absolutely. He has um, written me a letter that I, I have with me um, and I keep and... He shared with me that he's happy that I chose life for him, because if I didn't, um, he wouldn't have the abundant life he has today. You know, there's not much more you can say than that. Every Saturday before Mother's Day, the second Saturday of May, celebrated as Birth Mother's Day. And it's a time to recognize those who made the brave decision of adoption, just as Tina did. So when you think about celebrating this Mother's Day, keep that in mind too, won't you? And when you think about an opportunity of giving the gift of life for a woman that is struggling with this decision, who just needs some support, some insight, and an environment where they can make a informed decision without pressure, um, then keep in mind the important work of Real Options. And of course, like many organizations that do this kind of work, they need your support, your volunteerism. And you can get more information by going online to friendsofrealoptions.net. That's friendsofrealoptions.net. Tina Amoroso, Community Outreach Manager with Real Options, we appreciate you sharing your story with us today. And again, urge listeners to uh, choose life, get more information, and stand behind Real Options at friendsofrealoptions.net. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. 
The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.